If you're turning your Bibles with us to Mark chapter 2, we're going to look quickly. I'm going to get through this as quick as I can. Verse 18 is where we'll begin, and we'll look through from verse 18 to 22, and, and it would be very easy for me to fold this up and preach this next week, make this week a little easier on me. Not quite what God wants right now. As you're turning there in Mark 2, verses 18 through 22, it appears Jesus always seemed to have to defend yourself, himself. You ever felt that way in this life? That you're always having to defend your actions? You're always having to defend the things that, that you, that's important to you? Whenever religious people were around, it seemed Jesus was always defending himself. It seems to have begun over in chapter 1 when, when he healed a leper, cleansed this leper. And, and you remember the man had leprosy. He approached Jesus and, and just out of the blue said to him, if you're willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus was willing and he said, be clean, cleansed. So as soon as Jesus spoke these words, the man was healed. And then he gave the man some instructions. He said, go see the priest. Let him see that you're cleansed and tell no one what I've done. Well, being touched by the Lord, this man could not just tell nobody what had been done. You ever been touched by Jesus and you had to tell it? Yeah, this man, he had to go and tell it, but in telling it, he started something. Word got out about this Jesus. And it seemed that every time that Jesus was somewhere, there was always Pharisees there. These religious leaders, they became well aware of of the stories that were going on about this Jesus. So when this paralytic, uh, a paralytic was brought to Jesus and, and when Jesus forgave the man of his sin, he was healed completely and there were questions. By what authority does this man have to forgive sin? Well, he was God. <laughs> he had all authority to forgive sin. Well, he healed this man and then he went and met with a tax collector tax collector was converted and and jesus is over it in matthew's house and there are questions again why is this man eating with tax collectors and sinners because he didn't come to save those who were well he'd come to save those who were lost if you're well you don't need a doctor But if you're sick, you need one. And here they are at it again. Here Jesus is trying to enjoy a meal in this new convert's home and they're asking more questions. Why aren't they fasting? Why are they sitting here eating? Here we are. We fast. Why why is he fasting? Why is he enjoying life? Religious leaders were asking why is he enjoying life? 
here in Mark's gospel, the Bible says it this way. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into the old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put in new wineskins. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for what you've already done. Speak through your word and we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While Jesus and the disciples were trying to enjoy this meal, he's asked, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. A couple of things are interesting here. One is as a group, the Pharisees condemned the ministry of John the Baptist. And we know John the Baptist criticized the Pharisees. He called them a generation of vipers. You don't believe that. He looked them in the face and told them they were nothing but snakes. The whole generation of them. You know what they were talking about? Their families. Their fathers. Matthew 3 and 7 says, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come here it seems the disciples of John and the Pharisees were joining together so we must ask the question why why would John's disciples why would they join with the Pharisees in challenging Jesus well we'll get back to that before we get to that we need to know that the law does not command fasting However, before you get your in a bunch, um, there is a slight reference to fasting in the regulations concerning the Day of Atonement. God told the people in Leviticus 16 and 29, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. That's the only reference as far as a command that we fast in the whole Old Testament scriptures. Now, but here, by this time, the disciples, by this time, the Pharisees, had made fasting a a regular part of Jewish life. So by 
So back to the way, or back to why John's disciples would join the Pharisees. Well, we need to know that John was a very serious man. We understand that. The Bible says he was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he baptized for repentance. So John was very serious about holy living. They just had trouble understanding his disciples why the man that John declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, why he wouldn't command his own disciples to fast if he's the Messiah. The Pharisees fasted in an attempt to impress God. They wanted to impress God and also impress people. You see, they used fasting as an attempt to to put on a display of their perceived holiness. They wanted everyone to see that they were holy. They would have a sad countenance upon their face when they were fasting. They would disfigure their faces. Now, what that word disfigure doesn't mean they were maimed themselves. This word, we find it used in Matthew 6 and 16, but what we find is that word disfigured actually means that, that their face would be whited out or it would be blotted out. It wouldn't be that it would disappear. It would just be covered up. You know what white out does? White out covers up marks and it covers up um words on a paper if you want to go over the word if you didn't want that word to be there so what it does it covers it up so that something else could be seen there it covers that space where something dark has been placed there to where now you can write on it again so these men they disfigured their faces they put, put white substance all over their faces so their faces didn't look like it used to their faces was whited out so that people wouldn't be able to see who they truly were you having trouble understanding that? Let me say it like this. And I, and I say it with all love. I really do. So don't get mad, please. You know, it's not every young lady. But, you know, a lot of young ladies, we don't see who they really are until they take that stuff off <laughs> that they cover up. You know what I mean? That's what this is. They put stuff on their face to cover up who they really were. There's nothing wrong with makeup, ladies. Listen, there's nothing wrong. If they made it for men and men wouldn't get laughed about it, I'd worry. You see all this mess on my face now? I'd have it covered up. But y'all would laugh at me. I'd color my hair, but y'all would laugh at me. Yeah, y'all would laugh at me. The word means to blot out, to disappear. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's no longer there. It's just it's covered up. So <laughs> they would put ashes on their head. They would, their clothes would be a mess. They wouldn't bathe while they were fasting. They wanted everyone to know what they were doing. And they expected everyone to follow their lead. Doesn't sound much like something you want to follow, does it? Jesus hears their question, and he gives three illustrations. Three illustrations for answers to their questions. And I've got two things I want you to get from this. First is we can't celebrate the, we can't forget to celebrate the presence of God in our lives. That's what Jesus wanted them to understand with his answers. Weddings are joyous times, aren't they? Because uh, uh, here we know that there are times of celebration. The last wedding, I did, now I've been part of some weddings where they, they, they celebrated. 
you know, and, and as soon as the, as soon as the pastor, the officiant left the, left the, re, um, the reception, they really celebrated. <laughs> you know, there was, this last wedding I'd done, the first time in my life in all the weddings I've been part of where when the groom stood at the end of the, at the end of the entrance, just to walk in, just standing there, he gets a, he gets a standing ovation from the crowd. You know, you see that for brides, but man, that was a celebration. That the whole experience, the wedding, the reception, everything was a, a celebration. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what weddings are meant to be. People travel to venues to celebrate the, the couple's uh, nuptials or their wedding. Even in ancient days, they recognized weddings as a time of celebration. Though newlyweds would host friends and family for an entire week. You know what we do? We'll leave for a week. But then, back in those days, they would host the whole family, their whole families and their friends for an entire week celebrating. What just took place? You know, it was a dark time in the desert. It was dry. It was hot. It was dusty. It was hard work, whatever they'd done. And so they, they celebrated for a week, and then they had to go back to work. Well, Jesus shares that when the bridegroom is among his friends, it's, it's not a time to look sad. It's not a time to put on ashes and look a mess. It's not a time to go without washing. It's a time for celebration and gladness. Jesus was saying that when God's presence is with us, for Jesus said, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So when Jesus' presence is there, then God's presence is there. It's not a time to be sad or mourn. It's a time to be joyous and glad. So the Pharisees and the disciples of John were so caught up in their customs, traditions, and rituals, they couldn't see God in the flesh right there among them. They were so caught up in proving that this man did not follow their, their rules and, and trying to show that he was a fraud that they couldn't see their need for him and his presence in their lives. So they were so caught up and what they expected from the Messiah, they couldn't see their need to celebrate and be joyous because he was amongst them. You know, I'm afraid a lot of Christians fall in the same category today. We're so caught up in what people are doing and what people are not doing. We're caught up in what churches are doing and what churches are not doing. That we can't see for ourselves the presence of God is with us. You know, people often feel that... That the entering of God's presence, we must do something. We want to, we expect the choir to just move us. We'll come in every once in a while. We've had a bad week. We're tired. We, we feel, we really didn't feel like coming, but, but it's what we're supposed to do. We'll sit in the back and we'll, we'll cross our arms and say, move me if you can. If you dare, get me to stand on my feet. When, when we're in God's presence, His presence walks with us. His presence talks with us. His presence carries us through every moment of our lives. So we should be joyous. At all times. We should have a smile on our face. Oh man. We should have peace and love. And joy in our hearts. The one who loved us most. The one who died for our sin. His Holy Spirit is ever present with us. So you're asking now. Well preacher did that mean I should never fast? Well not necessarily. The Bible doesn't condemn it. The Bible uh, doesn't reject it either. As a matter of fact, Jesus fasted. 
The Bible tells us he fasted 40 days and 40 nights all alone. Now, he didn't fast a meal. He fasted. He fasted food, water. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take on fast. We'll, we'll do the Daniel fast. Why? Because we just give up meat, but we can eat. We just won't eat meat. We won't eat anything with cat. We won't drink anything with caffeine in it. We won't, we won't drink um, anything that's got any sort of flavor or color. We'll just drink water and we'll eat all the vegetables and fruit we want to eat. Hey, if, knock yourself out. If what you do is helping you spend time with God, then do it. That's what it's designed for. Not to be a show, not to be able to say, well, I fasted. It's to, it's to bring you into the presence of God. That's why Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in a wilderness all by himself. No one knew what he was doing, but he was in the presence of God. Yes, you know, what this lets me know is Solomon was right. To, every season, to everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Jesus says, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And they will fast in those days. So what... Here, early in Jesus' ministry, he shares that he will be taken away. So it lets us know he's well aware what he come to earth for. He was well aware of his limited time here on earth, that he would be crucified and, and he would suddenly be removed from these men. It helps to understand that, it helps us to understand that there are times in our lives when maybe we should be fasting. Yes, Jesus is ever present with us, but... You know, there are times when we, his presence is very dim or it appears to be dim. You know, I've said it before. I don't always feel saved. Thank God I know I'm saved. I, I know by faith that I have been born again, but I don't always feel born again. I don't always feel like he's right there. So when he's far away or it feels like he's far away and we, we can't reach out into his presence, that's a time when we should fast, a time when we should be seeking him. But we, but we should also fast whenever his presence is especially needed in our lives. You know why Jesus was fasting in the wilderness? Not because he, did, he didn't experience God or he didn't sense God's presence, but he knew what he was about to be, be involved in. He knew what was about to take place in his life. For these next three years, his ministry was going to be treacherous. His ministry was going to be important. His ministry was going to cost him his life. So he had to spend time with God. There are times when we need him to accomplish a task that, he, that we can't accomplish without him. We need him to empower us, to navigate us through our tests and our trials. We need his assurance. We need his comfort. We need his strength. So fasting does not gain us favor with God. Mark that in your Bibles. Mark that in your minds. Fasting does not gain us favor with God, but what it does, it makes us keenly aware that we need his presence in every area at all times in our lives. That's what fasting does for us. But when he's with us, we should be joyous. We can't forget to celebrate the presence of God in our lives. That's why I, that's why I like to celebrate early big things that happen in people's lives. Because we don't want to forget to celebrate. We enter into his gates, into his courts with thanksgiving. We enter into his gates with praise. We start our services off praising him. 
celebrating what he's done for us. But you know, the other thing we see in this passage that we can't forget is that we cannot confine the presence of God to fit our lives. Jesus now drives the point with two illustrations. First, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth into an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. Now, Jesus knew everyone hearing him could relate to what he was saying. You know, back then, people didn't throw nothing away. We've got, I remember growing up, we didn't throw uh, jeans with holes in them away. We've, we bought patches and patches were put on, on jeans. And uh, we've gotten away from that. We, we buy jeans with holes in them. By the way, I said casual <laughs> I said casual. Do I need to say business casual? I don't want to say that because it's okay to wear jeans. But, but don't, don't bring your worst pair of jeans. Uh, you know, we're still coming to church. We're not going to the club, you know. <laughs> I said casual. If it's jeans and a polo, khakis and a polo, dress shirt, dress uh, slacks, and, you know, that's fine. You know, I don't. I'm, I wouldn't dare say that any of these girls or women would be in here in, in shorts that are just too short. You wouldn't do that, so I'm not even going to mention that. See, I mentioned it without mentioning it, didn't I? <laughs> I forgot where I was at. They didn't throw garments away. (laughs) What they would do was they would sew. What they knew not to do was to sew a new piece of cloth upon this old piece of cloth. So when they patched it, they patched the old cloth with old cloth. There's a reason for that. The new cloth, it would shrink once it got wet and then dried. And when it done that, it would force the old garment away from it. As it was shrinking. Because the old garment was already fixed. It was already settled. It had already shrunk to where it was going to be. Like my t-shirts. They seem to, to come up higher and higher. They keep shrinking. With the old garments, they... <laughs> they would force the... You know, this would force the the garment to pull away from the patch and the hole would become worse. So why would Jesus share this? Well, he wanted them to know that he wasn't old bringing up, he wasn't new on going to attaching himself to something old. In other words, he wanted them to know that he came to bring new life. He wasn't an old patch being sewn into a new garment. Neither was he a new patch being sewn into an old garment. He was a new garment altogether. Let me say it this way. He didn't come to bring reform to the law. He came to to fulfill the law. He came to pay the penalty that the law demanded for sin. He came to free those who were held captive to sin. Those who were bound by the law uh, can be, uh, he came to reveal into their lives their sin. That's all the law does, you know. The law reveals the sin in your life. And that's why, that's why he came to fulfill this law. He came to free those who were held captive to sin. Those who were bound by the law that, that know that 
knowing that there's no power in the law to save them or to forgive their sins. He came to give them a brand new way of life, not, to fulfill, not a life fulfilled with a laundry list of do's and don'ts. And that's where we've messed up over the years through the church. We provide a list of do's and don'ts for, for church to be saved, but that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free from all the do's and the don'ts. He came to give us a life that would provide us access to a relationship with our Heavenly Father based on faith in what he, do, he would do through the cross and the resurrection. Jesus didn't come to bring reformation. Our, our legal systems got it messed up. He came to bring transformation. Reformation, it doesn't exist. It, it's not real. It's a figment of our imagination. Until someone's life is transformed, then they're changed. You know, if you reform a home, it's still the home. But when you transform that home, it becomes a new home. We can renovate, and it doesn't change what the space is. We just renovated the space. We put paint, we put carpet, we moved things a little bit. But when you transform it, when you gut it out and you start back up, then it becomes a transformation. Things no longer are the same. That's what's real. A transformation is real. You know, the early church, they thought... There were some of those in the early church, they were called Judaizers. We remember that word. In Acts 15 and 1, it describes them as certain men who came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, what they were saying was, you can believe in Jesus Christ. You can accept him as your Lord and Savior, but you still got to be circumcised. (laughs) Salvation was only possible if you continued the law. These Judaizers didn't want Gentiles to be a part of them unless they took on their customs, their traditions, their rituals. And this feud uh, fueled a heated exchange, a heated confrontation between the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas. Ultimately, the Jewish council sided with Paul and Barnabas. But what this caused was a division within this, this sect. And this group went away teaching their own teaching which was a false, it was false, it was heresy. Now, you may not see it, but that's still a problem today. You know, some churches believe that you're not genuinely saved if you don't do as they do. You know, women, you wear pants. You're not genuinely saved. Men, you wear shorts. You're not genuinely saved. You know, you're not genuinely saved if you don't speak in tongues. You know, there's some churches that still teach this stuff. You know, I'm not being critical. Y'all know I use the New King James in my reading here. Um, there's churches that have a problem with that. You know, I, I got my King James Bible at home because there are some churches I know that won't, don't want this brought in there. And so I carry the King James. You know, that's their ritual. That's their custom. That's their tradition. 
So when I go there, I'll honor that. But it has nothing to do with my salvation. (laughs) How I dress has nothing to do with my salvation. Ladies, wear the makeup, cut your hair, wear pants when you want to. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Men, wear short sleeves, wear shorts, uh, wear jewelry. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Now, it may play a part in sanctification. There are things that I used to do I don't do no more. As I grow in Christ, even after I got saved, things that I would do then that I don't do now because of sanctification. But that's between you and God. That ain't for a building to tell you what you can and can't do. I want to assure you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you're saved. Salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Reedy Branch, I want to ask us this. What are we trying to add to salvation? Let me ask it this way. Is it harder for, uh, for people to join our church than it is to join the family of God? Don't answer it. Let's look at this other illustration. Jesus shares no one puts new wine into old wineskins. In ancient days, there were no plastic. Y'all believe that? There was no plastic. There was no glass containers. There were no cans or recycling bins anywhere. What they used for a bottle was the skin of a goat. I'd love to see some of you ladies drinking out of that. (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to see it. I, 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 boy, that's when I would have my phone out taking pictures and video. And I, and I, I never do that, but I would. <laughs> new wineskins were the new hide, fresh hide, hide that hadn't, had recently been taken off. It was elastic. And it would expand as the gases of, ferment, of the fermenting process of the wine would take place that skin would expand. But it's skin, it's leather. What does leather do when it dries up after being wet? It cracks, it gets brittle. And so when you pour new wine skin in, an old, when you pour new wine in an old wine skin, it could not contract. If it contracted any at all, then it burst. <laughs> Jesus said that he was expanding our minds and our hearts. He would face, we would actually face a new and exciting life because he was expanding our minds and our hearts. He needed to pour new wine into a new vessel so that it would expand. We no longer find assurance in customs, traditions, and rituals. Instead, we, we would discover the assurances in Jesus Christ. We would no longer be condemned by the law, but we would be forgiven by the cross and victorious um, in his resurrection. Death would no longer be our enemy, but we, it, it would now become our friend. We would no longer have a spirit of fear, but now we have a spirit of love and power and of a sound mind because he's expanding. He's pouring into something new. The Bible says old things have passed away and all things have become new for those who believe in Jesus. 
So Jesus was expanding our ministry. Jesus was, would be pouring into us his love for all mankind where, where there would be no more Jew or Greek, no more slave or free, no more male or female, but we would all be one in Jesus Christ. Jesus would expand our ministry when he ascended back to the Father by sending his Holy Spirit to abide within us, to empower us, to accomplish his will in our lives. And I want to tell you, it's an exciting thing when you know you have no power to do anything, but all of a sudden, the power of God comes, and when it comes, it helps you to do something you never thought you could do. You know what, folks, I don't know why God does this, but he's been doing it for 18 years. I've witnessed to more people, I've led more people to the Lord in that office and over the phone that I have right here in this altar and I know what every time I make a phone call I'm saying God I don't know what to say I don't know how to do it every time someone comes and sits in my office I'm sitting there thinking I don't know what to say I don't know what to do and it's power it comes up and rising up and takes the fear away so that I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jay lives can be forever changed Folks, if we will trust the empowerment of the gospel, he will bring, give us a brand new life. He didn't come to pour something old into something new. He came to give us a new life. Yeah, what Jesus is telling us is that religion with its customs and traditions cannot contain, it cannot contain the ministry and the message of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to pour his spirit into our, into, our, into our hearts so that we could try to please God by keeping a set of rules and traditions that men have put in place. The tradition the Pharisees were following, they were their own traditions. They weren't what God had gave them. God gave them ten commandments. He gave them ritual laws. He gave them ceremonial laws. He gave them practical laws of how to live with one another. That's why when Jesus came and they asked him what is the greatest command, he said there's two. Love God, love each other, and that'll take care of everything else. He came to take the old wine skins of our flesh and to make us new in his power. He came to transform us through a new birth. He came with new wine to pour in, the spirit, in our spirit and in our hearts as we were reborn into a new life. Listen, if you've been saved by grace, if you've been born again, you are a fit container for the Spirit of God. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's made you to be. Every head bowed, every eyes closed as they began to prepare this song of invitation. I want to ask this, and Reedy Branch, I want to, I want to say this to you first. I, I want to caution us to let's not attempt to confine the presence of God to fit our lives. Instead, let's just celebrate his presence and be open be willing and be obedient to whatever and wherever he leads us. But I want to ask you who are here today that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you have perceived or preconceived ideas of what it means for you if you were to surrender your life to Jesus?
I want you to leave that alone for a few moments. Forget those preconceived ideas. Just let, leave them alone. We can't contain Jesus to where it fits our lives and our thoughts. He's bigger than that. So my question is, if you would leave here right now, lost, and God called your name, do you know that you would spend an eternity separated from him? That's not what you want. If it was, you wouldn't even be here today. You don't want to be eternally separated from God. This week, I went to a visitation of two 22-year-olds, and I went to a funeral for a 68-year-old. God has no respect of person. Doesn't matter what age you are, he can call you home. So what's going to be your home? Today, why not come and let Jesus, the one who died for your sin and raised you and raised up victoriously from the grave, why don't you come and let him give you new life today? He's willing. He's willing to give it. Are you willing to receive it? It's up to you as they begin to sing this song. It's up to you. It's your choice. What are you going to do with Jesus today? He stands at your heart and he knocks.